Welcome to The Wine Down, an afternoon podcast where two techie blokes sit down over a bowl of wine and chat about what's happening in the world of tech. Enjoy while Scott and Nick open up about their week in technology. Well, hello, Scott. Welcome back to The Wine Down, recorded in the morning with no wine. Yes, hello Nick. This will be an interesting experience. <laughs> it's not like our normal wind down, but we, we've had a we've had a bunch of different commitments this week, which has meant um, I've been doing a lot more work from home than normal, and we haven't been able to get physically together in the afternoon over wine. But it's not going to stop us recording the wind down this week, is it? It, it's not. It's not. We will continue. Excellent. Excellent. I'm, I'm excited. We've got what, loads of people are getting engaged with what we're doing. We're seeing lots of listens on the channel. We're watching people watch the stuff we're doing on YouTube. Um, and I'm, I'm th- keep threatening to live stream the recording of the wind down onto YouTube. And, and, and every time I do, Scott seems to find an excuse not to do that. I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> <laughs> we, we'll get there. We, we will. We will. Anyway, um, today we're going to talk about the industry we work in the it channel aren't we scott we, we are we are we, we've, we've been covering various uh, specific topics uh, in general the last uh, number of weeks and we thought that that not everybody really knows what what happens in the big picture sort of thing so we, we might go into a bit of detail on that yeah, i think i think that makes sense because the um you know it's it, it's it's kind of interesting you think as a consumer you don't really know where your relationship is is your relationship with the retailer is it with a middleman is it with the actual vendor themselves when you buy a microsoft piece of hardware from jb hi-fi are you buying it from microsoft or jb or their distributor how does that all work i think is a a really good topic to just discuss so people have an idea how it works so i reckon we'll start let's start with the industry what's the size of our industry scott and that's the it industry so it's interesting. So, like worldwide, it's around three and a half trillion dollars. So that's that's a lot of laptops, or, or a lot of lot of PCs, and a lot of little add-on cables and bits and pieces floating around. Um, it's it's uh, it's it's not small by any means. It's actually one of the um, larger sort of in industries as measured by the uh, by the government bodies that measure industry sizes. Um, we've uh, in Australia, we've got ninety three billion dollars. Uh, 93 billion Australian dollars, and the, the three and a half trillion was US dollars. Uh, but 93 billion Australian dollars was the 2019 measurement. Um, those numbers are expected to drop just a little bit for 2020, given the uh, the, the current economic situation. Um, estimates are about down eight percent or so, seven and a half to eight um, percent, which is sort of interesting because some areas are booming um, and some areas are just really doing nothing mm-hmm. cool um so so we're 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 a big industry right there's, there's lots going on and we're fairly new and um, they really yes. they we've really only been around since the second world war as as an industry i reckon uh, that's probably fair, yeah, yeah, give or take. And the the other um, um, sort of interesting part there is that if you look at the top ten also brands or the top twenty brands in the industry, they're, they're young. They're very young companies. They're like your, your apples, your Facebooks, your Googles, your Microsofts, and that sort of thing, um, which are only 
well, what is it now, 30-something, 40 years old at most, in some cases only 20 years old, in some cases a little bit less, um, whereas um, they are um, peaking above what you know, your general electrics of the past, which would be the 100 or whatever year old you know, um, organisations. So um, that this is quite a dynamic uh, place to be. Yeah, no, it is. And I think just before we go on, we should pay homage to Windows 95's birthday, which was this week. Oh, oh yes, that's right. It's, uh, what is it, 25? I'm trying to work it out. It's, yes, well, Windows 95 and we're in 2020, so I reckon it's 25 years old. <laughs> Silver anniversary for Windows 95. Yeah. Okay. I, I, do, I do remember when it came out in the UK, Microsoft bought the front page of every daily newspaper in the UK. Right, which, which I thought was a cracking marketing thing at the time. It was the most impressive thing I'd ever seen. But anyway, move, move, moving on. Um, I'm sure that was true. <laughs> um, so, so we talk about you know ninety three billion dollars last year in Australia and, and you know three yes. trillion worldwide. Where's it spent? Because okay, so, lots of people think it's about the hardware or it's about the software, and people kind of ignore the services side. But how does it all work out, Scott? Yeah, okay. So it, it is a mix. It, it is a mix of what your hardware sales are. So think about PCs, laptops, all those little cables and connectors and everything you buy from the from the corner stores. Um, it's also about the server infrastructure. Um, less of that being sold because most people have been moving to cloud. Um, although what you don't see is that the cloud providers are buying more hardware. So in that respect, the, the numbers sort of balance up a bit. Uh, it's just different types of hardware. Um, so, but yes, look, a lot of hardware sales, um, printing, and goes into that as well. Printers uh, um, and everything else that sort of attaches itself therein. So, um, also software, uh, and not just no longer sort of physical boxes of software that you go buy for shelf. Um, although I still see a few of those around. It's it's quite quite interesting. Um, different, uh, even a couple of things coming back into retro <laughs> form for you know, buy my software. It comes in a box. It's not online. <laughs> Just to see how that goes. Not sure that's going to work, but anyway. Um, and also uh, all your SaaS products. So your, um, your software as a service offering. So think about like a Salesforce license or an Office 365 license or that sort of thing. So that goes in there. But um, a large chunk is also in services. So when we talk about services, it's um, professional services related to things like, hey, we're going to take you your business from where it is and for X dollars and so much effort, we're going to move you to the cloud. Um, it's also about managed services for managing client networks or infrastructure um, and also like application development services, things like we'll build an app for you or we will change your code or upgrade your code or maintain your code or and so forth. So, yeah, it's a there's a fair bit that goes into it. Um, but, uh, yeah, a big number in the end, which is good. Cool. Lots of, uh, lots of room. So, and, and, and obviously, you know, this is not just an industry that's unique to the UK or the US. It's a global industry, right? It, it, it is, and it's it's more global than most of the other industries out there. Because if you look at whatever industry you're in, you're looking at what's happening in Australia, or my rules are bound by Australian law, or um, I'm in this country, um, I'm there's my market. Uh, the IT channel, uh, not so much. It's you, you generally do tend to play in the, the where you're located, but um, if you're located on the internet, you're target market is the world mm -hmm. and there's lots of ways to very quickly scale and, and also get in trouble <laughs> doing that yeah sure so so it's global so talk about the different 
players, Scott, because I, I, I see the channel. And I know I've read, you know, the, the, all the books on things like multi-sourcing and um, um, the channel being a really complex spider's web. But we can start by thinking of it quite simply, can't we? We, we, we can. And look, it, it can be as complex as you want it to be, and it can be as simple as you want it to be. So um, there's, there's a number of layers. And if we, we started a, a fairly basic thing, there's, there's the vendors. Vendors manufacture the products or they write the software or they, they are the, the owners of the thing or the, that you're actually purchasing or using on a day-to-day basis. Um, the owners of the intellectual property, I should say, of, of the thing. Um, you've then got um, your distributors. So vendors would usually use a distributor to say, we're going to go and create laptops and sell them in this country. So this distributor will hold all the laptops for us and engage the local um, sales arms to go and sell them for us. Um, you've then got your resellers and your your partners, um, who would be the ones actually buying off the distributors, working with the vendors to go and sell to the end clients. Yep. Now, now a confusing term we use in our industry, and I'm just going to I'm yeah. mindful that not everybody listening to this is going to be in tech. Um, the the term we throw around called partner. Now, now partner yeah. really means reseller, doesn't it? And, and and look, and, and reseller is a uh, a good and a bad word these days. Um, reseller in the let's say when Windows ninety five came out, it used to be literally the person that resold the product. They would have the little computer store that had all the things in it. Like there's a box of Windows ninety five they have in their stock sitting on a shelf, and someone would come along and buy it, and they would re- they would resell it to that person. Uh, they'd have a margin on top of that to cover their operating costs and um, store rent and you know, the costs of everything else in there and oh, hopefully they're making a bit of money on that. But that that's the traditional view of reseller and that term has come a long way to the point now where it's, it's used very openly uh, but probably doesn't really represent the true value of what your IT partners or resellers are doing these days because they're not just taking a box and reselling it to you. They're adding services, they're building solutions, they're understanding your business, they're looking at how to make it more efficient. They're looking at even, in some cases, how to cut costs. How do we move you to the cloud? Um, There's a lot more to it. Right. And also there's some complexity because I I know if if I go and buy a Mercedes-Benz, um, just pick. I'm picking a car type at random. I don't have one anymore. But but if I went and bought one of those, I go to a dealer who's a reseller, and they'll not only resell my car, but they'll and they buy it directly from the vendor or from some middleman. I don't quite know how that all works, but I think it's quite similar. So, so the traditional role is more like the car dealer, but that's morphed now into more of a business partner, business advisory type organization has it not it, it is and i guess just thinking about your mercedes model your traditional mercedes branded car dealerships um that they are franchises or they are separately owned but they deal directly with mercedes for example they would deal they would go and order out of the either the sales office in australia and have the product shipped from overseas um that's um, they are uh, they are I'll say a reseller, but they're more like a reseller and a distributor, sort of all rolled into one. Okay, now I'm I'm starting to get it. I'm I'm starting to get get the view. So let's let's start from back at the top, right? So at the top we have the what you might call a manufacturer, but we in our world call them vendors, and yes. they they make stuff, right? Yes. Um. So Microsoft's a vendor. 
Yes, Microsoft would be a vendor. And Google's a vendor as well, but I've never found a box. Oh, actually, Google Home's a box Google thing, isn't it? So Google and, <laughs> and Apple's a vendor and WatchGuard's a vendor. and So, so yes. vendors, so why don't these guys just sell directly to the end users? Yeah, look, that, that they could. That is one model. So let's, let's look at Apple, for example. Um, Apple, uh, aside from the fact that it's got its Apple stores, um, although to be fair, they're more experience-based stores than they are really direct retail, although they do tend to do a lot of sales in those stores, um, they do sell directly to the end client. So they've said, we're going to manufacture this product. Um, we are also going to have our website, which is going to drive all of the sales, and we are going to sell to the end user directly. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to we're going to in some cases put some stores in various places to promote the product um, and to help people use it. And if they wanted to come in and buy it out of the store, we'll keep a bit of stock at the back as well. Yeah, but mainly it's the online store. Um, there's uh, in the cases of software that's uh, let's say Microsoft. That's even more the case uh, where you don't need to hold physical stock in a distribution warehouse or in a reseller's premises because it's software it's online now it's a license you can sell it as quickly as you can click your fingers Mm -hmm. so that's that part but you've also got your manufacturers and let's say a a hardware manufacturer like an hp or a lenovo or a dell um dell's a little different let's come back to them Um, let's let's look at say (laughs) hp yeah that'll Um, be easier (laughs) Yes. So um, HP, obviously, they they manufacture, for example, computers, so laptops, PCs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, They have distributors in the country. Those distributors have got big warehouses that hold lots of stock. Um, What that means is that HP themselves in country uh, don't have to be the warehouse. They've essentially outsourced that warehousing function and stock function to a distributor. Um, and that's that's one of the, the, the sort of two or three models that are out there. Um, if you're, you're either going to manage that yourself, you're going to be your own warehouse, you're going to have your own stock, you're going to manage your own channels uh, or your own direct engagement with, the, um, with your end users, uh, or you're going to have this tiered approach um, where others are getting involved. Um, the whole distribution reseller model, it's... It's popular. It's popular because, for example, in Australia, there's something like 20,000 odd IT companies. Now, a a manufacturer or a vendor coming into the country will say, great, am I going to sell these direct to, oh, look, there's 20,000 potential reseller partners out there I can manually go and engage with one at a time and I've got to maintain credit for them. I've got to have an account team to manage them. I've got to have all these other various things and promotional material for them or do I just deal with, say, three or four distributors that would probably engage the majority of those resellers themselves? I can tell you it's a lot easier to deal with three or four organizations than it is to deal with 20,000. Yeah, no, I'd say so. So really familiar names in distribution to us are people like Dicadata, um, Ingram Micro, Ripe, the, the well-known names in the industry, yet the user probably wouldn't even ever have heard of them. In most cases, no. Um, And as an end user, you may actually receive a package from your IT company. Let's say you order something from them, a box turns up, um, and it's actually got the IT company's logo on it. And this is the whole thing. The, The distributors are actually fairly automated to the point where they'll even print the reseller's logo on the box so it looks like it comes from them. 
but it's just drop shipped from the distributor. So the, the distributors, yeah. those guys in the middle, now I get how they work when you've got warehouses of hardware or, you know, you've got a, a smaller IT company trying to do a really large deployment and the, the customer might pay in 90 days and they need kind of that buffer finance to make it happen because they're buying hardware. I get kind of how that yes. all works. What's their role when we get to cloud? Because cloud's really different, right? Cloud, it's, it's look, it's it's thrown one of those paradigm shifts in the industry where for the last, um, oh, yeah, say, 10, 15 years, the, the market and the distributors have been looking at, well, what, what is our role in this sort of new model of doing things? Um, and there's a bit of confusion initially, a lot of, well, we can help here and here, we can help with marketing, we can do this, but it, the, the question is, where is the real value being provided? Um, when you're moving boxes, there's, there's a raw basic 101, if you're going to be a distributor, you've generally got to provide some sort of a credit limit or finance facility, and you have to have stock. That's, that's the basics. Um, everything else on top of that is value add in how you help promote, sell, bring in sales, what other services can you offer on behalf of the vendor and so forth or the uh, or the reseller. Um, with cloud, you're, you're literally either selling a service or selling a license. Um, one of the the big things the vendors have, um, have worked out though is that, and this comes back to the, if you're new in country and trying to deal with 20,000 end resellers, how do you do this? Um, the distributors have the relationships, they have the legal agreements and contracts in place, they have the billing relationships, they have the credit facilities and so forth. Um, if I am a, a Microsoft, for example, I may not want to deal with every little reseller out there from one person and above um, who wants to buy my offerings. So I can still use the distributors for that, even though it's a virtual offering they can still provide the finance function, they can provide the management of the end reseller, they can do and target marketing to those uh, resellers such that the vendors are really only dealing with um, a smaller number of distributors and they can focus resources on manage, managing it as a distributor rather than actually managing a reseller. Okay. So we're going to get into the, the kind of the, the partner reseller type land now. And there's lots of names for them. I've, I, my companies have been called ISVs, solution providers, resellers, computer shop. You know, all sorts of different names. But there's there's some more that. So we've got the old names, but there's a bunch of new ones as well. So why don't you take us through what's an MSP? What is what is a managed service provider? <laughs> yeah. So so let's look. We're, yeah, and you're right. In in the past, we had these. Uh, you're a reseller or um, if you want to think about it in a more advanced way, uh, you're a solution integrator or, or an SI, um, or even a, a VAR, a value-added reseller, uh, which basically means you don't didn't just resell things like a website does. You actually provided some value on top of them. Maybe you installed it. Maybe you unwrapped the box for the customer and put it on the desk. Maybe you provided some training or something like that. Uh, but yes, the, those and those old terms are still used a lot today. Um and I tend to get annoyed a little bit because it sort of means that whoever's using them and whoever I'm dealing with hasn't really moved their business model into the into the future a bit to understand that that's probably not a great way of thinking about things anymore. Um, 
but yeah, the, the modern terms though, yeah, MSP, managed service provider, um, people that are providing a service or an outcome for a, for a fee, regardless of whether it's software, hardware, services involved in that, it's the outcome um, that's provided. You've got your um, your SaaS businesses, software as a service. Um, think of uh, Salesforce, Office 365, um, things like that, where they are providing an offering online in the cloud to you, and that is the business. Um, you've got some specialist uh, solution providers. Um, these are the ones that would provide like very specific industry-focused solutions, and it could be around, uh, we deal with um, you know, like temperature monitoring in fridges or something like that, or we're very focused uh, in manufacturing, or we're very focused on workflow and automation, uh, or document management, or that sort of thing, very focused organizations. Um, and then you've got what I think the real reseller model is sort of turned into, which is a website, which is organizations that they don't have a warehouse, they don't have any finance structures or anything. It's literally, here is, in all the distributors that we've got accounts with, every single product that they have, and there may be millions of these things, we're going to stick them into a shop on a website and just let you go for it and buy it. And when you check out, put your credit card in so that that particular web shop is not actually financing anything, it's the approved finance. Then, when the when the finance when the credit card transaction goes through, they'll go and place the order back on the distributor, and get them to direct ship to the end user. Um, the good thing about the web shop approach is that look, things are much more readily available, um, and in general, margins are quite thin. It's a it's a volume business. Yep. It's looking for uh, like it, margins might be three, four, five percent, or something like that. Which means, as a business model, you've got to have the volume; otherwise, you just won't survive. I, um, I do remember back in my days working for a reseller many moons ago when they were lamenting the loss of the fifty percent margin selling computers. Right? Those days have gone a bit. <laughs> That's right. As, as they drove out in their Ferrari to yes. visit the next client. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. But the um the, the interesting thing has come about with these web shops um, is that there is still a place for um, respectable margins in hardware sales. Um, and we, we've had this with, with clients before. We've, we've, we've looked at, hey, if we're going to sell this infrastructure to you, um, here is a price. And they'll look at that going, hey, hang on, I can get it cheaper at this website. So we'll, yeah, you're absolutely right, you can. Uh, but when we're selling a solution to you, we're using our ex- uh, expertise and knowledge to make sure that the right thing are put into that solution, it's sized correctly, that the parts all work together, that the services are going to be there to build it and so forth, um, and that it actually is going to achieve the goal that it was intended for. So that, that does take time and effort. It takes training. Um, it takes knowledge to be able to build all that. Uh, we've got to recover that cost somewhere. And to be fair, we've got to make some margin on it. Otherwise, why would we not do it? Um, so when you're going to a web shop, you are essentially are the one making those decisions. You are saying, oh, I'm going to buy that part. It's cheaper there. I'm going to buy that part. It's cheaper there. And that part is cheaper there. And hopefully it all goes together. So, but that doesn't mean you can, can't get special deals, right? So let's use, Scott, I want to yes. dig into your insider knowledge. If, I, if, I'm an, if, I, if I'm what everyone calls an end client, right, which is the person yes. who actually forks out the money and buys this stuff, um, how do I get special deals? Okay, so look, everyone, when they they work out, I need a new laptop, I want the biggest, the best, and whatever, and I want to pay half the price of whatever is really there. How do I go and get that half price? Yeah, so look, there are actually ways to do this. Um, the easiest way, and look, we'll get clients coming to us saying, I need a new laptop, what's the best price you can give me on this and this and this? And we'll actually say, look, 
the best price we can give you is something on a website. Have a look at, for example, JB Hi-Fi for what's on special at the moment, or um, one of the one of the online vendors. What what actually happens is. Um, a vendor will bring, for example, a whole bunch of stock into the country for a current model of laptop or desktop, whatever it is, that will, over a period of time, start to get sold. After, say, six months, could be nine months, that model starts to phase out. And new models will come in with you know, new new processes, different types of memory, all sorts of things, um, to the point where oh, we've got like a 1,000 of these PCs sitting in a warehouse somewhere. What do we do with them? They're going to be end of life pretty soon or old models that we just need to run out. Um, okay, go and do a massive deal with one of the online shops at a really discounted price just to clear them all out to make room for this other stuff coming in. And you'll see things in JB Hi-Fi or the online shops that are generally cheaper than what your IT partners can buy things for because they are run out models. It's, it's old stock or it's that model number is uh, about to be replaced and here is the end of life version of it just to get rid of it. Um, and that's usually where most people find a great bargain. Most people don't necessarily need the newest, biggest, greatest, whatever to run their business. Well, not, not these days at least. Um, and are quite happy with, look, this, this model's six months old or nine months old. Hey, it's, it's pretty good. It's worked. It's still going to last three years. It's still covered under warranty and everything. And look, it's cheap. I'll grab those. So yeah, that's, that's what happens there. Okay, but if it's a larger deal, so you want you want to buy a thousand laptops, you can go talk to your partner, uh, right? That's right. And what will happen is that the partner would normally go and talk to the uh, the vendor or the distributor, and or both, and say, "Hey, I've got a deal here for this. Uh, there's a thousand units of something I want to buy. Uh, in theory, it's going to be competitive. You wouldn't just walk down the road and say, "Oh." This thing costs, you know, $500. Oh, can you sell me a 1000 of them? Here, here's a check. Uh, no, it doesn't quite work that way. Um, the uh, You would generally work out if you're going to spend that much money. Well, we should probably get a few quotes. We should look at what the comparative models are and then work out what the best option is and then how do we get it the most cost-effective way. Um, the vendors, when they're uh, looking at that sort of quantity, will do bulk pricing. They, there are discounted offers and it because the whole thing is you're not dealing with a thousand individual sales anymore and there's a cost in that you're dealing with one sale of a thousand so it's just shipping more boxes freights more uh, more efficient the whole process is more efficient so you can get discounts in that respect um, so I think what you were getting at Scott is you know not only can your partner negotiate with the vendor if you've got a big enough deal but they can pull multiple people together to solve a problem that's right, to, to form a solution to achieve an outcome right. which is more useful. Okay, so they can pull together multiple distributors, multiple vendors, and even other partners with specific skills to solve a certain yes. thing, right? Cool. Excellent. Okay, so got a handle on that, starting to understand how the channel comes together. Um, talk to me about maintenance. Right. What happens when something breaks? Do I, yeah, I, I know I've got consumer guarantees and all sorts of things like that, but, but how do I get my stuff maintained? How, how does that, what's the best way for, to do that? So, yeah, so there's, there's a couple of approaches. You, you certainly get the warranty when you buy the, the units themselves. So if you've got a PC or a laptop or even, even servers and that sort of thing, um, you, you do get a standard warranty. Uh, most vendors uh, will offer extended warranties, uh, and they can be useful. It depends. Um, it depends on what you've got and how many of them you've got. Look, PCs these days, 
they're fairly resilient sort of things. Um, it's not like the old days when you'd actually have to build them yourself and then over time something would break or this wouldn't work well with this or whatever. They're, they're all sort of bolted all together on the same board these days. So um, they're fairly sturdy and most people would generally self-maintain with those, meaning they would take the standard vendor warranty and after it runs out, if the thing fails, you may just toss it away because they're so they're a consumable item. They're so cheap, cool. um, when, and that's fine because let's say you've got a business with ten people or fifty people or whatever it is in there. Um, if you've got a spare machine uh, from someone that pops in and out, you've always got the ability to, to use that. Um, when you're talking about servers and storage and network gear and various things, that's a slightly different um, approach. Networking these days, it's it, this and this is a whole different topic. It really is commoditized as well. Um, there's a lot of ways to achieve a certain thing, but really, when was the last time you had a major network issue that brought your business down for days at a time sort of thing? Um, well, it depends whether you're in the cloud or not. If you're in the cloud, very well, rarely, but if you've still got all your kit running in a, a, a room with dust and all sorts of stuff like that, it can happen still, right? Well, that, well that's that's very important, yes. Um, and let's say you've got all your, you've got servers in there and you've got a, a what we call a storage array or a, a, a SAN, which is a bunch of hard drives connected to multiple machines. Um, you, you would generally want to make sure that that particular device uh, or those devices which are critical to the business because they're used by everyone uh, is covered under some sort of maintenance. Now, if it's not the vendor's maintenance, there are third-party maintenance options out um, available out there because um, maybe this gear, you've, you've got it and it's been there for three, four, five years, even six years, for example. Um, and yeah, it, it may be at the end of its life, but it's still providing some value and it's still working. So, hey, why not let it run? Um, but of course, when it breaks, you need to know you can get it fixed quickly. And if you've got no maintenance plans in place, then hey, you, you're actually, you have a problem. So um, there's quite an, an amount of gear that, that we maintain uh, for clients under third-party maintenance agreements um, through specialist companies that just hold all this old stock. So when you, um, when you as a client sort of say, hey, I'm going to replace all this stuff that I've got that I've been using for so many years. New project, here's new gear. What do I do with this old stuff? Well, there's ways to um, either recycle it or, in some cases, actually sell it to third parties. Um, not, not a lot, but they'll give you something for it just for the parts, and they'll go and reuse those parts for maintenance. Cool. Excellent. So I've got maintenance, I've got vendors, distributors, resellers, MSPs, all, all of those nice things. Talk to me about how I find out more about the channel. Is there any media specifically around? Because there's lots of media around specific things. Is there any around this? There is. Yeah, so there's, there's there's a couple of industry-specific sources that I'm thinking of. Uh, one's um, uh, ARN, Australian Reseller News. Another one's um, like CRN, the old sort of computer reseller news. Uh, and the, the, they've been around for a long time. And you can sort of tell by the, by the names that perhaps the ARN and CRN view is better than the like reseller news uh, sort of thing. Um, it's a bit like the old KFC thing when they turned it into Kentucky Fried Chicken and when everybody was very health conscious, the fried bit didn't relate. So they went. They moved actually to KFC instead. Um, but uh, I, I noticed the whole words. Go, I've got a daughter who works there. I noticed the whole words coming back now. So so apparently fried's back in vogue. Fried, fried's back in fashion. It's it must be healthy fried. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, yes, but there's um, there are there are industry specific publications around that. Now there's good and bad things. The um, the, the good things are look. There's a lot of information about the industry there. But if you're uh, an end 
um, uh, client, um, you probably not going to find a lot that is specifically targeted at you. It's more about the, the vendors that are coming to the country, the resellers, people working on projects. You're telling the industry itself what's happening in the industry, um, different to what you as your particular business may be doing. I know um, like uh, the accounting industry, for example, has accounting-specific um, yeah, online newspaper-style publications, um, which if I'm looking at something, may not really be the sort of information I'm looking at, but uh, yes. Cool. So, so that, that's media, but there's also, yeah, I know in a lot of, yeah, industries which have been around for a long time, the professional associations actually lead everything from training to, you know, lobbying the government to certifying practitioners. We're a bit younger, so our associations are a bit more nascent, but there are still, yeah, industry associations. And the one I know probably best is CompTIA, because I was um, chair of the ANZ community for a while, so I, I know that one really well. But there are others, right? There's the Australian Computer Society and the Australian Internet Industry Association, AIIA. You want to talk a bit about those? Uh, yeah, sure. So, look, uh, and to me, these, um, these organisations um, have got different purposes uh, sort of in the industry. Um, where I've sort of seen things come in, like the, the CompTIA side, uh, it's been very popular amongst the vendors, amongst the partners um, for really getting involved in what what are the solutions out there, how are we offering them to clients, what are the key areas of focus that industries are moving into and what are the sort of solutions that become can become available in those, where to head. Um, the, um, the, uh, the ACS, Australian Computer Society, um, I found them to be very popular amongst um, a lot of university students and uh, developers as well, sort of coming coming up in there. Um, from where we sort of interact in the, um, uh, in building solutions for clients, I've sort of seen less involvement there. Um, and the um, yeah, the, the Australian Information Industry Association, uh, a lot of uh, policy focused um, input with government, uh, a lot of key advisory sort of areas, um, uh, a lot of it more. I'll say software-based. It's probably not a fair way to put it, but a lot more uh, around, not so much around boxes and servers and PCs and all that sort of thing, but really uh, are around the broader topics uh, um, around, like, you know, it could be something around artificial intelligence. How are we using that? What are we doing with security um, at policy levels and at government levels? Where is it heading? Um, so that's um, that's been quite interesting to, to watch as well. And look, different things have popped up in different areas for different reasons at times so yeah cool okay well that's been a fantastic overview of the channel i hope it's given anybody who doesn't understand how our industry works even more confusion about how our industry works or maybe maybe it's yes. helped um well, hopefully we haven't skipped them off and, and, and we didn't do it with wine but is there a wine you want to talk about today scott there was there was the wine to be the, the wine to be was actually going to be a bottle of a Yolumba cigar 2015 um now you um they they have a lot of um broad commercial wine but they also have some more specific ranges um as well and um there's there's a group of i'll say four to four to five um one's got the the cigar there's um and this is a, a, a Kunawara caps have sort of um, a little area and also part of the Barossa comes into these ranges as well. There, there's one less commonly available called an FDR1A and that's um, that's lovely um, if you ever get a, a chance. And if you like the heavier reds, that, that sort of comes into that. Um, then you sort of grow up a little bit into what's called the Menzies and then the Signature. 
Uh, these these are all um, generally available um, wines, and they are um, they won't disappoint regardless of the year. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Well, I look forward to coming and seeing you at some stage this week and enjoying a glass of that. So we'll see how we yes. go. Hopefully there'll be some left. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Awesome. All right, Scott, I really appreciate you. Uh, appreciate it today. Notice if you if you have enjoyed the content, please subscribe to the podcast so you get notified when we do new editions. And we're going to, one day I'll get Scott live streaming this. But um, all that's left for me to say is do subscribe. Um, if you've got any comments, feel free to leave them in the comments. We do look at them. And um, thanks so much, Scott. Have a great day. Thank you, Nick. All right. We'll catch you later. Bye-bye. Bye.